welcome to a special edition of the Who's Who podcast with me, Phil, and our special guest this week is comedian, artist and cartoonist Robbie Bonham. Welcome to the show, Robbie. Hello, Phil. How goes it? Oh, it goes very well, mate. It goes very well. So, uh, well, thank you for joining me this evening. Oh, no, no. Thanks for having me on. That's fine. It's, it's been a long time coming, actually. I think I asked you ages ago, didn't I, to uh, to come on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, we, we've talked about it. And then I get nervous and I go, oh, I'll leave it for, for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I need other people to push me into these things. Oh, right. OK. So it was me sending you direct messages on Twitter, pushed yeah. you into it then. OK, fair enough. Right. Now, um, we're going to talk about something uh, a bit later on that isn't, um, well, it's not canon, is it? Well, no, strictly not. No. Oh, yeah, no, no, but it could be. It could <laughs> I think be. I, I think I have a way. We might discuss that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah so I, I, everyone at home, we're going to be discussing the two Peter Cushing Dalek movies, uh, Doctor and the Daleks and Dalek Invasion of Earth 2150 AD. Now, that's a title and a half, isn't it? But It is, yeah. Crikey. They, yeah. They, round, they rounded that year off. I think it was 2146 or something in the original... I think it might have been actually, yeah, yeah. I think it was. I think it sounds a bit punchier, I suppose, doesn't it? Yeah, forty-six doesn't sell movies. You have to go. <laughs> exactly, but um, but before we get on to uh, get on to that, um, obviously, I sort of want to ask you a few questions, really, about um, how did you first get into Doctor Who? How did I first get into it? I um, see. I was always I was always a sci-fi fan, you know, and telefantasy, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm ashamed to say I would have been more of a Book Rogers kid than a Doctor Who kid. But the, my the weird thing with me is I, I'm from Ireland, as you can probably tell from my accent. And we we didn't actually have the, the UK channels for a lot of my childhood. Because you, you have to pay extra to get them over here. Or you, you did at the time. It was, oh, right, okay. it was a cable service. Um, but we, we didn't have it for many years. So I would occasionally catch snippets of it in my grandmother's or in friends' houses. But... I, I've a vague, like I'd be born 1970, which is which is very it's very handy being born on an even year like that because it's very easy to work out what age you were when various <laughs> things were on. I was born the same year, so yeah. I know oh, you're exactly. 70 as well, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do remember, and I I, found, I, I can remember um, seeing a bit of Destiny of the Daleks when it was originally on in my grandmother's because I could remember the one scene I remembered was Romana and the Doctor playing Stone Scissors Paper oh right okay yeah, yeah. So it was only years later I figured out what it was I remember knowing what Daleks were uh, for some reason I think everybody knew what a Dalek was I think December. so yeah and I actually remember in Destiny of the Daleks it was my first sighting of Davros and I remember thinking, ah, that's what Daleks look like when you take the top off. <laughs> I assumed they all looked like that. And I, I think the first episode I saw properly, and it was purely because Book Rogers had been cancelled that week. <laughs> but I happened to switch over to part one of Legopolis. Oh, blimey, that's a bit of an impenetrable story to kick off with. Yeah, but if there was something, I, there's something I, I loved about it. I, I like what, what latches me on to a lot of Doctor Who stuff is, is actually the incidental music. I'm a huge fan of a lot of the incidental music and particularly, um, oh God, his name escapes me now, the guy, the music for Legopolis. Um, it was, uh, oh crikey, was it been Paddy Kingsland? Or... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I, I, a lot of that kind of music it actually evokes a lot of childhood stuff for me. It's funny. I, I just liked the kind of doom-laden air that story had. But I, I would have been, 
I still didn't have the, the UK channel, so I would have been in and out of Doctor Who throughout Davison's thing. And it was kind of, it was kind of, I think it was towards the end of probably Colin Baker's first series where I was starting to see it every week. I think we'd finally gotten the UK channels like back in 85. So you sort of because, picked up on probably one of the most least regarded eras of Doctor Who then. Really. Yeah, like, yeah, like I was a full, I remember being a full blown fan when Trial of a Time Lord came on. Hmm. That was kind of when I first really got into it. But what was weird as well, I was more of a comics fan. I was more into 2000 AD and, and stuff like that. And uh, I discovered the Doctor Who comic strip in the Doctor Who Monthly. Mm. That kind of sucked me into the Doctor Who world a bit. Um, oddly, that, enough, oddly uh, enough, that's how I got into Indiana Jones as well. It was the comic strip of it. Really? <laughs> that was in the Star Wars comic. And it, it, yeah, comics seemed to pull me into things more than anything else. But yeah, so... Kind of trial of a time lord came, and then I actually actually loved that story, and still do. I know it's often gotten a lot of flack, but I I, I really loved uh, Colin Baker and that he kind of hit his stride with it, and and uh, John Ridgway was doing the comic strip in the magazine at the time, and his art was beautiful, and it was just it really kind of got the imagination going. Didn't I finally got. Ridgway, a, I, did, didn't John Ridgway do was it Button Man for two thousand AD? Uh, yeah, day. that's right. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's about the time I, I used to read it avidly, so that's why that that artist's names just sort of uh, sort of sprung to mind a little bit there. But, yeah, uh, he had a very kind of realistic looking mm. stuff, oh, but but simple at the same time. I'm still a huge fan of his stuff, particularly actually if you if you if you see any of the the colorized Doctor Who strips that he did. That there was a, a, a graphic novel that came out I think in the early 90s of his Colin Baker strips when Frobisher was first in the strip and stuff like that yeah yeah and it's kind of it's almost a hand colored look to it probably still was hand coloring at the time but it's the it's a thing of beauty I still have that particular graphic novel oh well it's it's on my main shelf. Oh, a proud of, of place. Prized, book, prized books next to my signed "Who on Earth Is Tom Baker?" Oh, brilliant! <laughs> no, I never got that signed. I just got his um, big finish um, audio thing signed anyway, which was uh, didn't get to meet him. Though. It was done by by post. Oh, right, right. Yeah. No, I actually, I actually, he did a signing over here in Dublin back in whenever that was. Was it mid nineties? I think that book "Who on Earth" came out. Um, yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was over. I, I was terrified. I was even terrified to ask him to get a, a photograph. Cause <laughs> I, I was going to say, how do you, how do you sort of dress them like Tom Baker? Because I've never, I've never actually met any of the actors um, associated with the show. And I mean, Tom well, Baker, he, he's like the, you know, he's like the, the emperor, isn't he? Really? Yeah. I, I just mumbled to him. I mean, you, you were on a queue, so he was expecting. You. I remember actually. This is funny. At the time, the, uh, the shop. It's a shop called Easons. It would be the Irish equivalent of W. H. Smith. Hmm. So he was doing the signing, but they had the Doctor Who theme music piped on a loop <laughs> for the entire signing. It must have wrecked his head. <laughs> I Yeah, I just mumbled something to him. I was happy to get something signed at my name and, and walk away. Um, the only other Doctor I've met is, and it happened last year, I walked by Paul McGann hmm. um, in Dublin City Centre. He was over doing a play. Yeah. This is about 10 o'clock at night and I was actually on my way to do a gig in town and he was he walked by me and I never do this, but I had to stop and call him and shake his hand. And I think I frightened the bejesus out of him. <laughs> he, he looked very startled. But I, and I'd never normally do that, but it's a doctor. <laughs> exactly, you've got <laughs> you to, know haven't I mean? you? Yeah. you I remember once walking by Stephen Moffat 
during the Edinburgh Festival. Mm. And I just let it go. I just let it walk by. But I was shaking for about three hours afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very surreal experience. No, and I, the, weird, the weird thing is, for the purposes of a show I was doing, I was actually mm. dressed like David Tennant at the time, which, <laughs> which might have freaked him out more. Now what, now, what was the reason for that? Why were you dressed as David Tennant? Um... Well, I kind of, uh, I, I was, I was experimenting with different kind of comedy. I, I do, I'm a, a stand-up comedian, so I would do a lot of uh, gigs here and there. And I, I was trying to do a show in the Edinburgh Fest at the time where I was trying to work in Doctor Who stuff to it as well. But plus it's a nice look. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I can remember when I was 18 or 19 trying to dress like the doctors and we did not have very fashionable doctors <laughs> to, to emulate at the time. I used to cycle to work with a 14-foot scarf, which is dangerous, if nothing else. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it wasn't till till the, the reboot of the series where you could actually get decent enough clothing that looked like theirs. Yeah, uh, a Colin Baker-looking public, that's that's a difficult one to pull off. Yeah, or even... even I remember having a cricket jumper, but that's mild enough. I steered clear of the question mark jumper. Yeah, that's pushing it a bit far. Yeah, <laughs> that's pushing a bit far. But uh, but say, so, I mean, obviously you sort of came into Doctor Who sort of um, sort of in, in dribs and drabs, really. So I yeah, mean, yeah. And so... it was it was funny because I got my first video recorder just as McCoy was starting, which probably wasn't the best era. No, to to, to have available for rewatching or to watch with your parents. <laughs> but um. Did you have that? There was a, actually at the same time, about 1987. Did mm. in the UK, did they get a super channel? Do you remember super channel? Super channel. Um, if we did, it was probably on cable or satellite. Yeah, I yeah. think it was one of the first cables, but we got it as part of our standard UK package. And, mm. and super channel at the same time, Mackay was starting. Super channel were showing the Tom Baker stories from Robot up to Deadly Assassin. Oh, okay. Good. In a, con- in a in a constant loop, you know what yeah. I mean. So it was uh, it was good. And then one of the Irish channels bought the first couple of Pertwee seasons. Okay. Which they were showing that's, as a that's my doctor. A, so this is getting better. So <laughs> it, it, they were showing them paired up with old Flash Gordons. They kind of had this sci-fi hour. Okay. So, so you'd have you'd actually have the Pertwee stuff in black and white, like the Silurians was black and white, and it was perfectly acceptable. One of the funny things I remember, actually, they had um, the course of Peladon, where, you know, Joe Grant was the assistant. But what was weird, whatever way they bought the tapes off the BBC, they had mistakenly showed episode three of Monster of Peladon (laughs) with Sarah Jane. And the the weird thing was, it still made perfect sense. It still made sense. It, yeah, with the, it, with the, the badger it miners just, in it for one yeah, episode. It was, it was just a different, a different woman playing the companion. Like I think, I think Joe Grant was locked up at the end of episode two, and Sarah Jane's locked up somewhere in episode <laughs> three. Like it all flowed neatly. It made no difference to the very little difference to the story. I think that doesn't say a lot really for the Peladon stories, really, does it? If they're interchangeable like that, that's incredible. Well, there. I, there there could well have been some sort of formula to write in four-parters as well, where, where certain things had to happen by certain stages of the story. So I think they did, yeah. It was either Companion gets captured or the Doctor yeah. gets captured. Doctor lectures the weak leader and there's a rebellion going on somewhere. There was all, yeah. there was a, as you say, there is a formula to it, definitely. There's always a rebellion with very timid-looking hard men. Yes, 
I, I used to marvel at how well educated a lot of these rough living people from Britain were in the future. <laughs> <laughs> they had very soft accents for someone that's been mining for 15 years. Exactly. So this is straight out of Oxbridge, straight yeah. down the mines. <laughs> so, I mean, out of all the, the sort of, obviously you sort of um, came into who really in, in the eighties. So who, yeah. who would your doctor be then? I suppose Colin Baker. Colin Baker was kind of, I liked his, he had an almost, this kind of almost sense of superiority about him, you know, you know, that the flared nostrils and the mm. showing that he's smarter than everybody, which was a character trait I tried to latch onto myself for a while. <laughs> Did it work? No. Ah. These things don't work in real life. No. Uh, unfortunately, but. Um, Pretty much the same for Colin Baker, really, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I know it's, uh, yeah, I would regard Colin as my doctor, I suppose. And, and to a smaller degree, Sylvester McCoy, you know, it, it was. And it's funny because I, I did, I had two or three friends that were into Doctor Who as well. It, it was very hard to find other Doctor Who fans in Ireland. There was probably only about 10 of us. Right. Um, because a lot of people in Ireland wouldn't have had the UK channels till mm. maybe the 80s. So there, there's no kind of collective memory of Doctor Who in Ireland. It's very weird, you know. It's like I have a joke I do on stage. It's a Doctor Who joke, but it's, it's uh, I probably can't repeat it here, but it's <laughs> um, it just involves Doctor Who, but it gets a slight laugh in Ireland, but whenever I do it in England, it gets a huge laugh. Right, okay. Because people in England would be more, it would be more ingrained in the English, or the British mentality, I suppose. But, uh, yeah. I do find that strange, because I say, but there's, th- there's not much between us, is there? I just find it's really, yeah. Really, yeah, it's strange. You don't, you can't pick up any of the, you know, the BBC channels unless you've got a cable or something. I just find that really, yeah. I do find it really strange. And I, I think it's funny that the, the Irish channels never bought it or showed it. The first time Doctor Who, the series, was on uh, TV was I think one of our stations bought Eccleston's series. Yeah. A year year after it came out, but that was the first time you would have seen the TV series on Irish screens. That's incredible. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. when, so when sort of like it was cancelled in eighty nine, it had very little impact in Ireland. But what? Oh what, yeah, yeah. What? But what about with yourself? Because you say you just sort of getting into this show, and all of a sudden it's it's gone. Well, do you know what's weird? My my, I really got into the the Virgin books mm. when they. Now, like I'd almost view the the first four Virgin books as kind of season twenty seven, and it, it was, I think I I got, I got through the first kind of thirty Virgin novels. I absolutely loved them now, but it was kind of at an age where kind of bearing and women and what have you were taking over more and more. <laughs> so, so my reading got less and less. But uh, yeah, it was it was weird. Like it was. I kind of missed not having new who, although the direction kind of the McCoy stories were going in, it was, it was, I remember somebody likening it to seeing a good friend who's uh, falling victim to alcoholism, <laughs> where they're just, they're just, they're not, they're not like they were, do you know what I mean? And it was yeah. kind of, it was, it was, my, I remember myself and a friend trying to convince ourselves that Delta and the Bannerman was good. Do you know what? I don't mind Delta and the Bannerman, actually. There's some, uh, there's some, there's a certain charm about it. I don't mind. Yeah, there's, there's, I suppose there's probably worse ones than that. You know, I remember that. I remember finding it very hard to watch the Happiness Patrol in front of my family. 
Yeah, I've you know, a lot of people said the same and, thing. Yeah, the old Bertie Bassett thing. You yeah. know, your, your dad will walk into the room and just go, what is this expletive? <laughs> and walk back out again. Yeah, yeah. It was my, well, my, I think it was my dad's favourite one. I think when um, Star Trek Next Generation was on BBC Two, Midweek, it was on about six yeah. o'clock. It was on BBC Two back in the nineties. Yeah, and my dad would come home and he'd just go, well, "What's this rubbish?" And every week he'd say the same thing. Yeah, we, it, didn't, it didn't matter what it was. Oh, what's this rubbish? And that and that will be uh, that will be the end of it. And he'd walk out the room again. And that then. Yeah, and but then a, kind of a week or two later, they've replaced it with snooker, <laughs> and you're yeah. walking in, going, "What is this, this rubbish, rubbish, my dad?" <laughs> but actually, interesting you say about um, the direction McCoy um, era was going before it got cancelled. Everyone seemed to think that that was almost like a, a return to form. But do you, would you would you agree with that? Because I've everyone sort of really oh, loud yeah. um, things like Ghostlight and Survival, and I yeah. I can't get into Ghostlight at all. T- I. Did think that his third series was better than the first two. It was starting to lift up a little bit. I maybe it was just the darker jacket. I've no idea. Maybe it was. Yes. But, but Ghostlight, I I know what you mean about Ghostlight. I actually quite liked it. Um, I even remember buying it on video as soon as it came out, and I I I think I just liked that it was weird. It's to me, certainly that okay. Yeah. <laughs> to, to me, it was the weird stuff like it. Well, I remember when Trial of a Time Lord came out, for instance, when episode 13, where he goes into the Matrix and it was just weirdness going on. I remember thinking, this is exactly what I love. This is what it was the weird stuff that made Doctor Who Doctor Who for me. Yeah. I mean, you find out years later, most stories run along the lines of landing on a spaceship for four episodes and solving a murder or whatever. Like, it's funny because Terror the Vervoids would actually be standard Doctor Who, I think. That's the, probably the most Agatha Christie-like story it had done up to that point, I think. Really. It was it was just a murder mystery, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it reminded me of Nightmare of Eden for some reason. That Just that same kind of... I don't know. Yeah, well, there was the Agatha Christie aspect as well, I suppose. Yeah. But, uh... so that was it then, then there were none. Or that, well, actually, that wasn't the original title, was it? Which I'm not going to mention on the on this podcast. But, uh, but I know it as, as, as And Then There Were None, I think. Right, yeah. Yeah. But um, if, you, if you're an Agatha Christie fan at home, you'll know exactly which uh, which novel I'm talking about, and you realise why I can't actually uh, say the. Uh... I, actually, I actually don't know. I'm not an Agatha Christie fan myself. All oh, right, I'll, I'll tell you when we finish recording. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, so and everybody else is googling it now. Google it right now. Yeah, you, exactly, uh, you know exactly why I'm not mentioning the uh, the name of the, the uh, novel. Um, so obviously, when it sort of came back in '96, and it was sort of sort of cruelly um, mm. sort of taken away from us, and then we had to wait until. Um, 2005. Did you in between that time? Did you get into uh, the Big Finish audios? Because I certainly didn't. I didn't even know of their existence. No, the Big Finish. And to this day, I've probably only listened to ten or twelve of them. Um, there was a friend of mine who was probably more of a Doctor Who fan than me. He he would have because he would have ordered them online. You, you, I mean, I think they were mostly only mail order at the time, weren't they? When they first came out, they were. Yeah, it was probably one or two shops in England you could get them. I mean, we. It's funny. Myself and my friend used to make sure when we went to London to go into Forbidden Planet just to get fanzines that were only available. I remember Doctor Who bulletin from going over to England to get them in the, in the late 80s, like, and it, it was a real find, like, you know, that there was, because that was my first introduction to fandom, if you like, the mm. Doctor Who bulletin and stuff like that, and although a lot of the fans in those days seemed to be very, very spiky about <laughs> the show and very kind of anti-JNT, and it was very, 
I was I was probably better off not being exposed to it. But um, I actually, it's interesting actually because um, how, how do you sort of see this now? Because obviously, sort of back in the day, if you were a Doctor Who fan or or if you want to talk about Doctor, it was always done in very hushed tones in case anyone overheard you and, and yeah, sort of started yeah. pointing and laughing. Yeah, but now it's all very much out in the open. I think a lot of um, sort of older Ooh. fans have a problem with that somehow. I don't know. I don't know what it is. The older like, fans. Yeah, the older fans. Oh, yeah, the yeah. hardcore. That, that, yeah. that attitude of that attitude of you didn't serve your time like I served my time. <laughs> we had to defend this against bullies when it was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> you ha- you you whippersnappers have it easy with your good looking time lords and your. You know, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's really peculiar. It's just it's still the same show. But but when the show came back, you said earlier you had to wait like a year before uh, Chris Freckleston arrived on um, on Irish screens. Yeah. Um, what did you think when it came back? Was did, what, what what did you have in mind um, when it was announced the Doctor has returned? Did you still imagine it's going to be filmed in a studio with wobbly sets, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Um, I don't know what kind of expectations I had. It was, it was. Um, I remember my girlfriend at the time saying, "Doctor Who." I mean, any anyone I ever went out with knew I was a Doctor Who fan. You can't, you can't hide sixty or seventy videotapes. Do you know what I mean? No. Um, but and I would, I would insist that anyone I went out with at least watched Pyramids of Mars. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I remember saying to my girlfriend at the time, yeah, Doctor Who's coming back. And she just kind of looked up to heaven, you know what I mean? And uh, I mean, she ended up being a, a fan herself eventually, which was good. But um, yeah, I had no idea what to expect. It was just kind of, I mean, the, the, the Paul McGann, when, he, when that one was on, it was, mm. it was pleasant enough. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't awful. No, there, there was like you. You could show that to to a muggle. Do you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and, and, and not not feel embarrassed. So, I kind of figured it would have at least those qualities. So, um, I don't think anyone quite expected to be, to be as. I know. So you you compare series one to what we, we've just had, um, but it, it was a lot more polished than what we had before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it certainly caught me by surprise. Anyway, I didn't expect it to be quite as professional looking. Yeah, is, is you, yeah. I suppose you were, you'd probably almost expect an, an East Enders look to it. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what. I was, yeah, you that's, would expect yeah. the indoor stuff to all oh, look like it's shot in videotape or, or <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, but it's um, no, it was great. It was great when it, when it, when it came out. Oh, good. Yeah. I actually remember when the series started. I because remember Rose was leaked uh, a couple of weeks before the episode went out. Yes, right. It was yeah, and I knew I was going away on holidays to Portugal I think the week it was going to be on <laughs> <laughs> so I used that as my excuse to download it and watch it early like and it was uh, I don't know I must have watched Rose about 400 times you know in, in yeah. that couple of weeks like it was so exciting to have new stuff oh god yeah yeah I, 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 I just remember um, in Cannon Street Station in London when I used to get the, the tram to work the, the BBC had this massive poster up over the concourse um, right and it was sort of like an action pose of Eccleston and Billy Piper in front of the TARDIS. And when I saw that, I thought, ah, it, this is, it, it, it seemed legitimate all of a sudden. It, it wasn't right. some silly little show anymore. It was, yeah. they, were, they were really putting their weight behind it. And I've never seen anything that public to advertise Doctor Who before. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's definitely like, it definitely leapt into the mainstream as early as I could. Like, it, it was, 
Oh yeah, that had a lot riding on it, basically. I, I, I think, almost, you know, you were almost afraid that the the general public would see it and react like your dad. So I mean, obviously, we we just had series nine um, of Doctor Who. What did you think of that? That did seem to split fans sort of down the middle somewhat. Series eight or series nine? Oh, series eight. Sorry, what did I just say series nine? What a pillock. Series eight. So, we're not going ahead to the future here. Yeah, series eight. You could, you could leave this podcast for another year to upload. And, I could, and, yeah. <laughs> um, series eight. Um, yeah, it's kind of. I think Matt Smith's first couple flowed a lot better than this one did. Hmm. Um, it, I don't know. It's had more coherence to it or something. Series eight seemed to be a little bit. I mean. Maybe because he lost the story arc, apart from the Missy thing in the background, but but it, it was so a couple, two or three of them were brilliant. Two or three of them were kind of hard to <laughs> to watch, and the rest of them would have been fairly standard. Who do you know what I mean? It, mm. It's um. So, so, what sort of stood out for you then? Um, if, oh, if but, you can remember the, the episode names, but let me think. I mean. The the Mummy on the Orient Express was quite a good one. Yeah. Because it was, again, it was kind of very old-style storytelling, but then with the modern-style horror attached to it. I don't know how scary the Mummy would have been if it, if it was made in 76. Like, uh, that one was good. Um, I can't even remember the name of the one now with the with the TARDIS shrinks. Uh, that was, oh, God, now you got me. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I know the one you talk about. I've gone completely blank now. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. But uh, I'll, oh, be people, I'll be people screaming at their iPods. I know, and there was a time where I could list every story in order from Hartnell with the production codes. And oh, wow. You get to a certain age where that just, you, you eject it like Romana's room. <laughs> it's just gone from your head. Um, but yeah, no, that was a good one. Uh, I, flatline, I, wasn't it? Flatline. That, that was quite a good one. I liked, I liked, I liked uh, Deep Breath as well. Um, yeah, uh, they were they were quite good. Um, I actually love anything with the with with uh, Strax and the others. I like the comic relief part of that. Um, yes, yeah, so they were all quite good. Um, the the then the Forest of the Night kind of I don't know what was going on there. That was quite silly. The Forest of the Night was one of those ones where I'm glad I wasn't watching it with somebody else. Yeah, it was a bit of a nothing story. That was, yeah. There was no peril, there was nothing really, was there? No, no, no. There, there was, it was trees. I mean, it, <laughs> <laughs> lots I don't and know. Lots of it, trees. It, just, it just seemed a bit silly. I mean, because I do realise, like, I'd be a huge fan of, of superhero movies and superhero TV shows, and people yeah. will say, if they're watching it with me, they'll say, that's cheesy, that's really silly. And I go, it's based on a comic book. What do you expect? You have to suspend your disbelief. And it's yeah. it's kind of the same with Doctor Who as well. Like, you, you can't expect any hard science in it. I mean, the, the notion of, of, a, of a moon laying another egg just as it's disappearing is, is absolutely ridiculous. But you just kind of go, oh, OK, right, it's, it's Doctor Who. It's Doctor Who, exactly. Yeah. You know, but it, but it's... Uh... Oh, sorry, and the, the, the episode I really loved was The Caretaker. Oh, right, OK. Um, OK. Because that, that didn't work out as, as bad as I thought it was going to. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I just, I liked the, I like the kind of irreverent comedy ones, if you like, you know, and it, like the, I mean, the actual menace is in it wasn't that much of a menace, but, but I did like the, uh, there, there was some good, there was some very, very good dialogue in yeah. that one, and I think that the, the three actors 
or the three leads, I should say, so they played off one each off each other very I, well in that one. I loved the bit where he whistles Pink Floyd's "The Wall." Yeah. Uh, as Clara was trying to give out to the students, that was just very funny. <laughs> you know, that was throwing in for our era of fans, I think. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So, yeah. um, so before we get onto the the, the Cushing movies here, um, if you had to pick your out and out favourite um, Doctor Who story, what which would it be of all time? Of all time. Oh gosh, I I suppose I'd have to plumb for Pyramids of Mars. Good call. Because it's a nice story, and it's probably one of the first ones I had on videotape as well. Mm. No, and it, it, it's I like the, the three or four fans I knew. We we gather around regularly if we could find somebody with a video recorder. We used to buy these videos before we had video recorders. Oh dear! Because you you just had to have them, and then hope that one of us will get a video recorder soon. <laughs> like that's. That's how into it we were, but uh, well, I, I, yeah. I think my, my second ever pay packet, I, I bought myself a video recorder, right? Um, and I think I bought uh, Day of the Daleks. I think was my first yeah. my first Doctor Who um, uh, VHS. But the reason I bought, I went and bought myself um, a, a VHS recorder because my dad had a Betamax ah. recorder, which <laughs> which. Okay, it's got better record quality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you couldn't buy any tapes for it. You couldn't buy pre-recorded tapes, and um, but yeah, yeah. And if you did, they were sort of like about three times the price of a VHS. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so yeah, my mom was day of the uh, day of the Daleks. I think I got my video recorder within my first couple of weeks working as well. Um, I had to get it on higher purchase. <laughs> But uh, I think Day of the Daleks, funnily enough, was one of the first ones because there was one video shop in town that had... It was one of these shops that sold ex-rental tapes. Ah, like, yeah. yeah God, Day of the Daleks might have been one of the early rental ones that came out, so I got that second-hand as soon as I had the money. And uh, well, yeah, those, that was those, those are the days, ex-rental shops. Blimey. I remember actually a video, a video library near me had Revenge of the Cybermen. Yeah. I, I think that was the very first one. Um, that even had the Peter Davison logo on it. Which <laughs> 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 I remember thinking, that's not correct. But uh, oh dear, so, so hardcore fan even then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. So um, the Cushing films. The Cushing films. The Cushing films. Now, obviously, people try to retrofit these into continuity. I haven't bothered to be honest. Oh uh, my, my! I kind of have an idea where, if, if I had the power, what I'd do. It would, <laughs> it would involve a third movie. But um, yeah, the the Cushing. I have a soft spot for them because, again, in 1987, when I would have been getting into it, yeah, there there wasn't a lot of um, stuff you could buy. You know, there was only one or two video releases, and all I had was McCoy. But I think, I think Channel Four or somebody might have shown the the Cushing movies on a Saturday morning. So mm. I just saw this as more Doctor Who. Um, I think the films were responsible for me thinking his name was Doctor Who for a few months. <laughs> um, yeah, because I, I I watched them before um, a couple of days ago before we were recording tonight, and um, that that did sort of like I, I completely forgot he's referred to as Doctor Who all the way yeah. through it, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's, there's <laughs> there's I it's, they, they took some liberties with it with a few things, but they kind did. Of, yes, because I suppose it was done for. Um, a much wider market, you know, if they're because they were probably trying to sell the film abroad as well. So you kind of had to reset. There would have been no real time to work in Susan's teachers following her home and 
No, you, not really, you, you no. also probably couldn't. I mean, Cushing's doctor was a much kind of sweeter old man than Hartnell's was, as well. Presumably, in an effort just to sell the film to people. Do you know what I mean? So, but now, I think that's what I expected Peter Cushing to do because he, he did a, a good line in dotty old professors and stuff, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's one of my favourite actors anyway, Peter Cushing. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. it didn't matter what he was in and how bad the film was, he was always brilliant. Oh, that was the other thing, funny enough, that although we didn't have the UK channels, I used to, I did see an awful lot of the Amicus films when I was that age as well. Yes, so, yes. Again, I like that whole vibe and, and the incidental music and all that kind of stuff with them, but... Uh, well, say, this is this is who made the two Dalek features, Amicus. Yeah, yeah. Which is because um, I only really knew them from even I think the first time I saw Doctor and the Daleks, it was uh, one Saturday morning in the mid yeah. mid seventies, I think it was. I've never I don't know if it'd been on television before then. I've got absolutely no recollection. It was the first time I I'd seen. It. I remember I was around at my um, my cousin's house, and we're all getting excited. Um, we're out playing in the garden. We kept saying. It's a Doctor Who film on yet. It's a Doctor Who film. My aunt kept going, no, no, it's not on till 11 o'clock. Okay, okay. And then five minutes later, we're back in. It's a Doctor Who film. It's a Doctor Who film. I'll get so excited about watching this film. Um, and then, um, yeah, I, I don't know what to... It's obviously, I think, first thing I saw sort of like Daleks in bright Technicolor. Yeah. And I'd also had I'd seen, I was aware, even at that young age, of the Amicus horror film. So um, it was sort of seen, oh, they made the Doctor Who films as well. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I'm trying to think what the the lure of the Cushing ones was. It, it was just having other new Doctor Who when you only had about five or six stories to watch. Like, and it was, yeah, and you could get over the fact that it wasn't quite canon. Like, I I I would have I would have I used to draw a lot of Doctor Who stuff, and I used to mm. draw Peter Cushing Doctor as much as I draw the others. You know, it was yeah, and I would constantly kind of be trying to think of ways to work him into canon. <laughs> I, I think I would know now. It would involve a third movie. That's the only thing. Actually, there was supposed to be a third movie. There um, was. It was based, meant to be based on The Chase, wasn't it? Based on The Chase, yeah. He, he, he paid Terry Nation 500 quid for a three-movie deal, uh, which I only learned last night. There you go. I do I do research. <laughs> um, yeah, it just didn't happen because the second movie didn't do too well in the cinemas. But... Uh, I don't know. I yeah, I've come up with a sneaky way to make it canon, but I <laughs> I'd have it involves a third movie. It would be great to have a third movie where the Daleks invade Gallifrey. Right. Like it, it, I'd love to actually see what Gallifrey would have been like in 1966 in widescreen. But yeah, you could have I used to get these crazy stories in my head. <clears throat> and it wasn't until the new series came out this whole notion of the fob watch that turns you into a human and sends you back in time where you don't know quite who you were and you could have you, you could have had you could have a storyline where that William Hartnell doctor is lifted out of his timeline, you know, a time scoop type of thing. So they've kind of changed his history, and then a future version of the doctor has to be sent back to relive those days. So voila, you have Peter Cushing, Cushing. Yeah. except he thinks he's human and he thinks his name is Doctor Who, and he <laughs> mis- mysteriously has two granddaughters this time, which are probably Time Lord spies disguised as granddaughters and. Yeah, my imagination tends to run away at me sometimes, but it's... Yeah, you certainly worked this one through. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't help watching it last night, actually, when they'd set it up as, as Doctor Who being this sweet old man that's living mm. with his two granddaughters. What occurred to me is, <laughs> what kind of tragedy happened that the family aren't around? 
is there something they don't talk about? Have they thrown themselves into science to get over it? Or, you know, it's kind of... Yeah, it, yeah, it is a bit, bit peculiar because they're, they're all into it, aren't they? Yeah. Both Susan and Barbara are both sort of very familiar with how to work the TARDIS and, and uh, sort of what, what's wrong with it and everything. It's... Uh, yeah, it's, it, I'd say it, they do take liberties with the with the show, but I, you know, I don't mind. I don't mind that. I don't. Think, not at all. I think it's a really, um, really enjoyable film. It's just the the fact. Obviously, they've got a bigger, um, a bigger budget than the TV show had at the time. But I mean, even then, the whole film only cost one hundred eighty thousand pounds. Yeah. Which now these days, I mean, that wouldn't pay for one advertising slot, yeah, would it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's incredible to think. It really is. Um, but I one thing I I. I didn't realise um, until I did watch it again the other night because I've, I've, I went and bought the... or Actually, someone bought me the Blu-rays for my birthday last year. And it's actually the first I've actually cracked them open right. um, to, you know, to, to record this. And Barry Gray um, did the, what is it, the electronic music, as they like to call it. And Barry Gray was famous for doing music for Thunderbirds or basically for Jerry Anderson. Right. So um, I was actually quite excited to see Barry Gray's name appear on there. Yeah, so yeah. I, so yeah, I always that... love Barry Gray scores for Jerry Anderson. Always, always really did. Um, but I think the one thing I, I, I seem to click with me when I was a kid is why wasn't this playing the Doctor Who theme tune? Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. Really I mean, threw I, me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously you'd look at it now and go, "Ah, it's obviously just some sort of copyright issue." It's probably too much effort to use the actual tune. But yeah, it's plus. I suppose that. Doctor Who had only been on air for two years when it when it was being made as well. It, yeah. it wasn't that holy a thing, theme tune either. You know, it wasn't. A, I mean, you couldn't change it now. I think oh, if you made God, a no. if you made no. a Doctor Who movie now, you'd have to keep the tune in it somehow. You'd have to. Yeah, there's no you'd way have... you, you they wouldn't let it happen. The fans wouldn't let it happen for a start. Yeah, sure. Definitely. I mean, it was the same with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie. They had to slip it in at some point. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things that's ingrained to the history of it. But yeah, it's uh... <laughs> yeah, as, as sort of uh, as theme tunes go for uh, Doctor and the Daleks, it's not that memorable, really, is it? But, no, and the yeah. music itself in the first movie isn't that great. In that, it's the exact same piece of music throughout the film. It's yeah, the exact same theme. Whereas in the second film, it's I've noticed that the music has a lot more scope to it. I don't know if I noticed the second film. It's always you, you're watching Daleks exterminate the human race to the sound of smooth jazz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of... I've seen similar music when Tom is chasing Jerry. Like, it, it's not the... <laughs> <laughs> it's that 60s kind of beatnik vibe to it. Like, Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly, yeah. Um, I think It's the, particularly useful in the comedy sequences in the movie. Like, Actually, that was another thing that's true. I mean, that's a great sequence with Bernard Cribbins, of course... Um, do you remember the scene in the second movie where he has to pretend he's one of the Robo Men? Yes, yes. And they have they have the scene where he's eating, and they, they all do this thing where they all have to line up, sit down at the same time, lift their hands at the same time, and he's getting it wrong, of course, just for comedy effect. Yeah. But I was watching this going, hang on, you've got this whole comedy sequence. These poor men have had their souls ripped out <laughs> and their personalities wiped, and they're making light of it. How can you do this? <laughs> you take it to like a Lorinardi sketch or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh God. Actually, <laughs> it takes you... it takes away from the gravitas <laughs> of, of what a Dalek can actually do to a human. Oh no! It's actually I, I prefer um, sort of Cribbins uh, comedy to Roy Castle's in the first film. Yeah, yeah, because I think yeah. it's it's overdone. I think. Yeah, 
really. Um, and I must admit, I only really knew Roy Castle for record breakers. Yeah. Because that's all he ever did in the 70s, really. Was, yeah, was, that's was, probably was... all I, I'd know him from as well. Um, so I didn't really know anything about his sort of, um, his sort of nightclub, sort of, do, do, you know, do, doing the working men's club sort of uh, background. Um, so I didn't know he, he was sort of more like an entertainer. Right. Yeah. So and obviously he was probably known more, more for doing comedy, but he was in an, 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 one of the first Amicus horror films. What was it, Doctor? Oh, well, oh. was it the Doctor Terror film? The Terror's House of Horror. Yes. Yeah, yeah, something about yeah, something. Is that the? Uh... See, I confuse a lot of them because I I probably haven't seen a lot of them since I was that age. Yeah, because that uh, one was that the one with Peter Cushing. Is that one on the train carriage? And he's dealing out the lot like the tarot cards, and and oh, okay. um, Roy Castle's story is like a trumpet player in a like doing the clubs, right? Pretty much like his own background, really. I don't know if he has to made a deal with the devil or so. I can't remember what the what the actual story was now. Yeah, I mean, because it's quite similar to the to the Amicus one where, where Peter Cushing ran the shop where people bought things that were cursed and kind of depending on the honesty of the person involved. Yes. Oh, that's that. Oh, what's that one face. called? Yeah, I'll come with that one. That, I mean, that was from Beyond the Grave. Beyond the Grave, that's yeah, it. Yeah. That's the one. Maybe that's the one with, uh, was it David Warner trapped in the mirror at the end? Yeah, that, that was pretty freaky. That, that, that was, was, yeah. It was a lot of freaky imagery. Because, I mean, I think I saw those when I was around 12 or 13. Because um, they used to show them late at night. Actually, this was an important part of my upbringing I had nearly forgotten about. Because I used to stay in my grandmother's on Saturday nights for a while. And yeah. They had the UK channels and she would let me stay up late to watch the Avengers followed by whatever Amicus film was on that week. Oh, no, cause, cause that, I, I remember when I was sort of growing up on BBC Two on Saturday nights, you used to have the horror double bill. Right. Like, and it was, it was all the old classic, like the old Universal stuff and the RKO. Right, um, yeah. Black and, white, and they would put in the, an odd, the old Hammer one and some Amicus ones as well. Yeah. So it was an important part of my sort of growing up as well. I, just, I used to love watching those old movies. I really did. And some of them had some very kind of horrific ideas in them. You know, very adult stuff that that <laughs> 13 year old, it must have affected me in some way. <laughs> I can remember there, there was one of them, I don't know which one it was. There was a, a it could have been Monster Club actually. Um, there was a character called a Werelock. Hmm. That was because you had werewolves and you had warlocks and then there were werelocks and there was, there was all these kind of weird characters and when he whistled, it melted your face off. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like I remember it, that one now. Yeah, yeah. Also, the Dr. Fives movies. Have you ever seen the two, the two yes. Dr. Fives movies? I they, have. They're pretty gruesome. Yeah, they're pretty gruesome and, and I was big into them when I when I saw them as a kid. Like, I think that was uh, John Thor as a non-speaking role in the second Dr. Fives film. I'm gonna to have to rewatch these. Yeah, I think he's. Yeah, okay. he, he, I think he breaks into the 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 tomb, and he has his face bitten off by bats or something. Right. But he doesn't. I don't think he says a word. <laughs> it, actually, so bloody hell, it's John Thor. Crikey, Spectre Moles. Um, anyway, we got off topic a little bit here with. Sorry, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sick. um, but um, what about the sort of the Daleks themselves in these? Because I I actually love these movie Daleks. You can see how they've yeah. influenced. Um, Doctor Who since it came back in 2005. Yeah, I was just thinking, there was a couple of things in it that I, I think influenced RTD's thing. I mean, one was the Daleks because that they now are on kind of slightly higher plinths and they do now have the bigger light bulbs on their heads. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Because like I remember thinking the big light bulbs looked ridiculous in the Cushing movies and that actually surprised me when I saw them in um, 
the 2005 series. It really surprised me that they'd done the light bulbs that big. But, I mean, it's just normal now, you know what I mean? And yeah, the set. Yeah, I mean, we expect the, them to it, be the little... Um, that's, I think they're actually um, rover indicators. Right. That they, that they actually <laughs> yeah. use on the props. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it, it, as you say, it's... it's Because I first saw them, I thought, wow, they've gone for the... Same as you, the big lights. I wasn't too sure, but as you say, you, you just accept it now, don't you? Yeah, and and actually, the other thing that I think influenced uh, RTD it was actually the the inside of the TARDIS doors. Yes, you know, it was particularly the second Cushing movie. They're white, and you can actually see their proper doors from inside. And you don't see that again till Rose. No, you don't. Like in, in the right. entire history, they were always based on the the, the Rundle walls, or or you know thereabouts but uh and i much prefer it i much prefer actually the being able to see the actual doors i suppose with the with the ones that you grew up in the classic series it was sort of showing that that pretense of that's what the tardis is like it's not until you get outside where you it's like the whole cloaking device thing isn't it really rather than and i think it was probably just done like that so they didn't have to show anything other than darkness from outside the tardis true yeah yeah that's right your mind would make up some excuse about some sort of ethereal barrier between the outside and the inside doors, and you just go with it. But I mean, there was stories where, for instance, in Pyramids of Mars, where he opens the TARDIS doors to show Sarah what 1980 would be like if they don't stop Zutek, where the doors open straight out to the outside. Do you know what I mean? There yeah, is no right. gap in between, but uh, it all, I suppose it always depended on. A, who was making it at the time, and, and B, what they could afford to do. That's it. There's always a question of budget at the end of the day, isn't it? Especially yeah. back then. I mean, the, the one thing about the Peter Cushing TARDIS is that the doors did open outwards. Yes, yeah, so they're su- supposed to do, aren't they? Well, that's probably what actual police boxes yeah, do. Yes, so I think they're supposed oh, right. to open outwards, aren't they? Yeah. That, I mean, that would be very... That would have upset a lot of subsequent Doctor Who stories if that was the way, particularly where he lands in between or close to an object. Yes, yeah, <laughs> right. you can't get out. <laughs> the doors open outwards, you know. You're, you're a victim to bad parking if they open outwards. Oh, exactly. Wasn't there some, wasn't there some uh, in-joke about that in the Doctor's Wife episode? I think there was some reference to the doors opening outwards rather than inwards. There, I th- I'd, I'd yes, have to there check. was. There was a gag about that, yeah. Because I think he, he was, I think he was referring to the the door to open up to get to the telephone, but um, Idris was referring to the actual doors to get into the TARDIS itself. Right. Yeah, I think that. I think that was the that was the the gag. I think anyway. Right. <laughs> but um, but I mean, what I mean, what do you think of the the representation of the Thals or the Thals, I should say, in the uh, in the first um, movie? They're sort of um, well, they were they were. I mean, they were fairly were they fairly close to the TV version. Um, more or less well, I remember the, watching because well, I, I only watched the Dalek movies again last night just for this and I remember like again you're looking for plot holes as an adult now <laughs> and I'm looking at the Tals going where the hell did they get tailored stitching from where the hell did they get all this makeup from makeup they all from, have exactly. blue eyeshadow and, and eyelashes out to their ears and it's kind of yeah I think the uh, the, the costumes in the Hartnell story um they're basically like they're all wore leather trousers with big holes cut down the thighs. There's actually quite a lot of the first movie that is very, very gay. Like, it, <laughs> the, the, the Dalek City itself looks like a gay nightclub. It's just all pink walls and soft lighting. It's actually like a beautiful looking place. <laughs> I couldn't imagine the Daleks capable of that kind of architecture. Like, but it's. 
don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I remember watching this. I was watching it last night thinking, bloody hell, Roy Castle is the straightest thing in this film. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, I know what you mean. It's sort of like the, sort of the um, I think the first time you see um, Aladon, and actually, as we're recording, it's sort of a couple of days have gone by since um, Barry Ingham, who played um, Aladon, passed away. Yeah, that's right, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so, um, but the first time you still see him in sort of, um, all, the, all, of all these, in all his glory, all the makeup, and you think, bloody hell, it was Julian Clary. Yeah, yeah. Not doing door to door or something, you know, it was. Uh, Amazing, but one thing that still makes me laugh about this um, is if you want to sort of uh, get, get a pacifist to do something, is to punch him in the throat. Yeah, you know that that was the way, sort of like you know, snap out of it, son, and give him a slap. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you, you sort of threaten his girlfriend, and then um, that's it. He, he takes action, but uh, I still find I still find that funny. I don't know why. Yeah, you know, sort of this race of pacifists, but. Um, there's one thing about the move, the, the Doctor movie, I still can't quite figure out what he was trying to do with all the mirrors. He didn't really seem to do anything, did it? When they, when they attacked the uh, Dalek city. Um, Yeah, I don't know. There was, there's a lot of things exploding for no reason in yes. these movies. <laughs> yeah, there was, wasn't there? Like, the, the, any kind of, I don't know, the, like the Daleks seem to be able to, to survive all sorts of weaponry, but as soon as you knock it down a ramp and it lands, it blows up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually going on to the, 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 the second movie, um, mm-hmm. which, which I think is, I mean, he had, he had a, a bigger budget as well. Yeah, and it's um, a much tighter story and there's a lot more happening in it, you know. Yeah, um, but I think this one, you, the way that they've done it, you could take out um, Doctor or Doctor Who, as he's called, completely out of this story, couldn't you? Well, I was actually just reading about that. Apparently, uh, Peter Cushing got ill while they were making it, and they had to rewrite a lot of it without him. It's like Hartnell all over again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Even even the Cushing era had its issues. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, and I mean, that could have even contributed to why it didn't do so well. You know, it's... Uh... But, I... yeah, you, you could have... But there was... a. I mean, there was some great. Car- of course, Philip Maddock was in it. Yes. Um, who is a would turn out to be a stalwart of of seventies Doctor Who. Indeed, he would be. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was reading it saying he was in four Doctor Who stories, and I didn't look up the four, but I can only remember three of them. Right. I know. I know he was in War Games. Yeah. Um, Brain of Morbius, and Power of Crawl. I can't for the life of me place the fourth one. Uh, da, 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 da. He was in the Crotons. Oh, right, right. What's the other one? Yeah. I'm not even entirely sure I've watched that all the way through. You're not missing much. We we, we, we did a commentary for it, um, I think, right. sometime last year, and it, it, it was um, it was heavy going, put it that way. <laughs> it's not one of Troughton's classics. Not by the weird, the weird thing about... Um, the era at which I got into Doctor Who was it was like in the late 80s it was very hard to get to watch old stories yeah but uh, we would know somebody that knew somebody in England that might be able to send the tapes over to copy them and most of these copies were like 6th or 7th generation I mean I've watched Peter Dave I remember watching Ark of Infinity in fuzzy black and white Wow. With barely any picture because they had degraded that much. So I, I saw a lot of me Doctor Who in that form and haven't really watched them since. I mean, I have a, I have the whole lot now. I have everything that's available now. I just, 
every so often I'll go, right, I'm going to rewatch Doctor Who from the beginning and a couple of episodes into the Daleks, you're bored. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just... Do we, I mean, obviously, that, I mean, you know, Dark Invasion of um, the, the, the Hartnell one was, oh, I can't remember any parts. Well, it was quite a long story, about six parts, yeah. wasn't it? Um, yeah. And they do trim a lot of the fat off of the story, don't they? For, for the Cushing for the movie, film. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see what they would have done with the Slither for argument. Do, do you remember the Slither out of the Hartnell story? Oh, I cannot remember it, it now. Was, it was just some weird alien that the Daleks brought with them to Earth. And right. it, just sort of, it just sort of prowled around um, where they were drilling down to the Earth's core. Right. And it was in... It formed, I think, the cliffhanger to one of the episodes. They sort of killed it off at the, at the beginning of the next episode. And... Never referred to again. So was he? Was it just brought in to to make a cliffhanger? Essentially, uh, basically, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. It was just some. It was like some great big lumpy carpet thing, sort of with a few tentacles stuck on it. It was. It wasn't sort of their finest hour, but any stretch of the imagination. And they, they, I'm, it, I'm glad to see they dropped it from from this one yeah. completely. I'm going to have to rewatch the TV version, but it won't be for a long time yet. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm Dalek'd out. For, I'm 60s Dalek'd out for the minute. <laughs> Actually, the, the one thing I love about the, the um, Dark Invasion Earth um, movie is the Dalek spaceship. Oh, yeah. I mean, visually, the movies are fantastic. They are brilliant. Um, there was but... one when I was watching the first Dalek movie. There's a lovely shot. I think it's when uh, Roy Castle sees something in the water. But it's a lovely shot with this moon in the background. Yes. That looks jarringly yes. alien but human at the Earth at the same time. It was a really weird shot. But yeah, in, in the second movie, I mean, the, the, the city looks brilliant, you know. The, the, the Dalek coming out of the water looks brilliant. But the spaceship, yeah, the spaceship is fantastic. Like the two rotating sections and the... Yeah, because I, I, I always thought it's one of the most realistic looking um, spaceships committed to, to, to film. Yeah, because I think obviously it was done. It wasn't done in the studio. I think they did do it out in the open air. Right. But it's only because um, now, because I've watched it on Blu-ray, you can just. But even now on Blu-ray, they cleaned up the picture and it's in sort of very high quality. Um, but even that, you can only just make out um, the wires. Right. But only I did, just. I, I, I couldn't actually see them. And I, I, yeah. No, you can't. If you if you watch like that, you watch it on the telly, or you watch it on, the, on your VHS copy or DVD copy. You cannot see the wires at all. And and I think for for its day, I think that's that's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely that was actually brilliant. some. It was something that used to irk me about the the TV show, the TV series, was the shots of spaceships because the spaceships when you see them moving, particularly say in the Tom Baker era. Yeah. They always moved as steadily as the hand of the person that was moving them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But what irked me was the Jerry Anderson stuff used to do it fantastically. Yeah. And I thought, like, you know, why can't why can't Doctor Who get the Jerry Anderson people to work on their spaceship stuff? And you know, yeah, it was a. Uh, yeah, I never it, figured out why they didn't get like some some from his crew to work on Doctor Who. I don't know. I mean, even as late as as towards the end of, of the classic series I think where you see for instance in Remembrance of the Daleks mm. you see the Dalek ship I think flying towards the earth and it just looks like a still picture being zoomed away from rather than an actual <laughs> it probably was That's the... <laughs> it's awful oh, no. I mean, oh, no. I mean the, best, the best spaceship sequence in, in classic who was probably the, the opening of Trial of a Time Lord where you, where you see oh, the target yeah. standing but yeah. I mean, that I think that took up most of their budget at the time. I think it did actually. Yeah, it wasn't kind of till Red Dwarf where they kind of got the hang of uh, the BBC got the hang of spaceships. 
I think so, yeah, because they, they seemed to figure out how to film them properly, didn't they? Yeah. Rather yeah. than just having some sort of static um, sort of camera and then move the, the ship across it, they seem to get more into sort of like motion control of the, ca- of the, of the camera. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's so much improved. But, hey, I mean, you know, back in, what, 1966, they proved they could do, um, you know, with a budget of £286,000 and... Um, and a, and, a, and a nice model and a few wires, you know, they they did it fantastically. I feel, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but going back to what you say about Daleks, it will blow up very very easy. You push them down a ramp and they blow up. Um, yeah. The thing about the the guy in the wheelchair with these Dalek bombs, yeah, they seem to blow up one Dalek, and then after that they're completely useless. <laughs> I don't I don't know why they suddenly render completely useless like that. Yeah, like they just they just go, oh, I can't be arsed now. <laughs> <laughs> the Daleks thinking, oh, I've already been hit by a bomb. I'm having a bad day. I'm, I'm done for the day. Like it's just, yeah. yeah, that's it. I can't be doing this anymore. Yeah, it's. Uh... I, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one thing I, I didn't. I don't think they actually. I can't remember if they credited on the um, um, on the on the on the of the. Oh, sorry, I've got my words out in a minute. The um, the credits at the end of the film. But looking on Wikipedia, it says that it was um, it was actually. The original Dalek um, actors, Peter Hawkins and David Graham, right. did the voices for both the movies. Right, because the voices are quite different in both the movies. The, yeah. The, I mean, in the first one, they can't get... They, they leave gaps between every syllable, and it's kind of hard to listen to. Oh, yeah, especially in the first film. Yeah. yeah, they, yeah. More, they've kind of got the hang of it by the second one. Yeah, that's that's and that's very that's almost very kind of fifty sci-fi cliche, isn't it? That the, is, yeah, definitely. Aliens talking slowly. But yeah, I still I still think it. I mean, they, they look great. They just, they just don't sound quite right at that point, do they? You know. That's, no. uh, by the time the second movie comes on, they seem to have got it all off pat, really, haven't they? I think they've really sort of really sort of got the hang of it. I actually, I actually loved Roy Castle's Dalek voice. Because, yes, he wasn't bad actually, was he? But, but it's it's not that he's trying. To, it's not that Roy Castle's trying to do a Dalek. It's that Roy Castle's trying to do a very camp individual trying to do a scary Dalek voice. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's yeah. If you just listen to that specifically, it's quite funny. It's actually very good acting. Yeah, it it's, is. It's, it there's, is there's, yeah. All, there's almost a Matt Berry aspect to it. <laughs> Like it's very good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do, I do love it. I do sort of love it, and I do love Peter Cushing as as, as the Doctor as well. Um, I think he's, uh, as I said earlier, I think it doesn't matter what he's in. I always find him extremely watchable. Always is, so, I, you know. And um, it is a sh- I, I don't know what 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 do you reckon they made out of the chase because that is just one big comedy anyway, isn't it? Yeah, we're, we're, but they probably they would have spent a lot more money on sets. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Oh, they would have been going everywhere. But yeah, it would have been unusual to see. It probably would have been a disaster, actually. I think it would have been. <laughs> what, what, why, why do you think this didn't really work in the cinemas for people? Because this, this happened to Jerry Anderson with um, Thunderbirds as well. Right. Because um, he made the first one, Thunderbirds Are Go. Um, and the, the way that it was, like, when he, I think he did his, um, his show reel to Lou Grade back in the day. Yeah. Um, he said, "This isn't a half-hour show," and I think Jerenson said his heart sunk at that moment. He said, "This is this is like a movie." Yeah. And this is his first hour-long show. And he said, "We can sell this to the states." Blah blah blah. So uh, when he got to his first feature film, because he like why they made Thunderbirds, it was a feature film each week. Yeah. And it it didn't really. Um, I think they had a massive opening weekend, and after that, it just tailed off. 
I think even then he couldn't quite figure out why. Why hasn't this yeah. worked out? And then they did the second film, which bombed as well. Um, and it didn't seem to work for the Daleks. And really, this was this was really Terry Nation. It wasn't the, the really the BBC. Yeah, because this, this you know this was these were Terry Nation scripts. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. Do you know what I think it is? And it's like my favorite type of sci-fi fantasy has has always been basically the Britain's TV output. Mm. It's always I've always loved the British stuff for some reason, and it's it's. I mean, even from the Avengers, it's all the type of stuff that you have to suspend your disbelief to enjoy. Yeah. And I don't think maybe cinema audiences, particularly outside Britain, would have that same suspension of disbelief. So those kind of things don't take off just because they're just a bit too weird, I think, for people. There's probably something in that, actually, because if you look at all the... the um, if you look at the... Oh, we had to compare it to, really, was sort of the American sci-fi yeah. output. And it was all very traditional, square... George Hero, yeah, got into a fist fight each week and saved the day. Lectured the bad guys, and... like like take Book Rogers for instance. Yes, I, I like yes. I love Book Rogers purely because I'm a Star Wars kid, I suppose originally. Yeah. But um, but there's nothing too deep going on in Book Rogers. You're not going to see complicated time travel things with the, where the past is altered and and you know it, it was always quite just this is the bad guy shoot him kind of thing. Whereas the British stuff tends to be a bit more cerebral. Yes. And it, it also was down to the mentality of the actual writer as well, you know, like it, a lot of the Br- episodes of British stuff would reflect the 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 writer himself and the way he thinks, you know, yeah. it's like like Nigel Neal stuff or, you know, it's uh whereas with America American stuff it, there's more of a feel of a team writing it. Yes. Yes, you know what I mean? Is. So yeah, it, yeah. It, it's made for as palatable as possible for a, a much lower common denominator, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's not sort of not demeaning sort of any of the work or or the actors that took part in those shows. But you, you're right, though. It is it, it, it followed that same sort of format, didn't it? it? Didn't matter if it was a a western or a detective show or a sci-fi show. They all yeah. followed that. It must have a hero, must have a heroine. It must have a, 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 a sidekick. I mean, even um, even Star Trek, the sixty Star Trek. Yeah. Um, the best episodes, the one you would, the ones you would think of now as the best episodes, were the ones where they got hardened sci-fi writers in. Yeah. You know, whereas the the kind of more regular episodes were not that memorable, I suppose. You you mean not like Spock's brain? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a Harlan Ellison story, I'll tell you that. No, it certainly bloody wasn't, Crikey. Yeah. Was this was this one sitting on the edge of forever? Was that one yeah, of these ones? Yeah, that's it right. was, yeah. Yeah, yeah one with someone which had Joan Collins in it, so so I remember it really. But uh, Yeah. But yeah, actually, I mean, um it's just a shame they, they sort of didn't really sort of take off a bit more these these cushion films. I'd like to have seen yeah. done a, done a bit more. Um and maybe not just as I mean these were sold on the back of the, the Daleks, and I'd like to have seen done more um non dark Dalek stories. Yeah, yeah. Where, where they would have been a, whether it would have been as popular, whether it got got made in the first place, really, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You wouldn't know. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's more of a Dalek thing than a, than, a, than a Doctor Who thing, I think. Yeah, I think that the Dalek was was the main aspect of of the marketing of it, and the because there wasn't really that much to the character of Doctor Who in the movies. No, and I say Doctor Who rather than the Doctor. Yes, <laughs> he was he was just the old man that was clever. So it was it was it was a reason for a kid being in a space in a time machine traveling to other places. Like yeah, 
Yeah, that's it, really. Yeah, yeah. There's no, um, as I say, he's, there's no sort of history or background. There's no mystery to his to his character, is there? Yeah, like he he has as much background history as as Jenny Linden's character or Barbara or whatever she was. Like <laughs> there was just nothing to them. The no. the only thing Roy Castle and 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 kind of Bernard Cribbins really had was the comedy. Like there was, but there was very little personality in movies in those days. Anyway, I think. Uh, you know, and even yeah, in, yeah. Even in the likes of Amicus films, you know, gentlemen were always quite stiff and quite hello, and kind of <laughs> there, there was nobody with an odd quirk, or the, you know, there was nobody that might have a drink problem. There was nobody that no, you know, nothing like that, or, or anyone it, sort of it was work, all, working class used to doff their cap in deference, and yeah, yes. <laughs> it, it was all stiff upper lip, lip, and, and smoking jackets, you know. Oh dear. yeah, lots it's been very of, much lots of swishing of brandy glasses, <laughs> gentlemen's rooms, all that sort of yeah. thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, I think at the end of the day, these films are very, very enjoyable, and I think if anyone has sort of sort of stayed away from them because they've been told they're not canon, they don't fit in with the with the the, the myth of uh, the TV series, I'd say just ignore that and just watch them. Yeah, they're fun, bright, colourful films to watch. Yeah, you don't need to have your, your brain that fully engaged because it probably will irk you. It was actually something that only occurred to me again when I watched it last night was, and this is a spoiler if you've yet to see them. Yeah. <laughs> but it, And this is getting back to the idea of complicated time travel stories. At the very end of Dalek Invasion, he brings Bernard Cribbins back to a few minutes before the robbery happened. Yes, he so crosses he his own it. timeline, yes. But that's the thing, he has now completely cancelled the story ever happening, because <laughs> the story only happened because Bernard Cribbins got injured and fell into the TARDIS. Exactly. He's essentially wiped it all. It's it's. Yeah, that's uh, all fans would get really um, <laughs> irate <laughs> about that now, wouldn't they? Crikey. Actually, also, there's, there's, there's the other <laughs> thing as well, when the, as after, the, again, they're spoiling the film for everyone here, the, uh, the bank robbery at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and you get that guy who goes to um, use the police box yeah. uh, to, to make the phone call, and, he, and he, sort of, he sort of falls to the ground as it disappears, and you get that little comedy look to... A fourth moment. Exactly. What, what are you going to do? Is that, is that <laughs> sort of, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, mugging to camera going on. <laughs> and and the, that particular guy you're talking about had a slightly, I thought, Ronnie Barker look to him. Yes. Well, it was kind of... Yes, he did, actually. Like yeah. It looks like the whole movie's going to be a comedy romp. Do you know I have seen him in something else before, but for the life of me, I I just cannot sort of picture what other films is is other comedy films or he might have been like um like you know those stiff upper lip British war films yeah back yeah. in the day you know the sort of, those sort of character actors which you don't seem to get anymore now do you no no so yeah I'd have to um have to look look that one up about just to sort of uh, satisfy my own curiosity on that one more than anything else but. Uh, but of the other thing as well, well, I must mention um, sort of Ray Brooks, um, mm-hmm. who I'd sort of known from, oh, was it Big Deal? That's what right. I really knew him from. And also the voice of Mr. Ben. Oh, was he? Yes. Because oh, um, I, I, I wouldn't know Ray Brooks from anything else, not really having much British TV as a kid. Yeah, well, apparently they, they introduced the, the trailer for this film, um, introduced Ray Brooks as the boy with the knack. Yeah. Because he was in a, a, a Richard Lester comedy film the year before The Knack and How to Get It. Right. <laughs> uh, which is, I'm, I'm assuming, I've never seen the film, but I'm assuming it's one of those sort of films out to pick up birds, that sort of thing. But That, uh, that, that would have been like 
before season two of new Doctor Who saying uh, David Tennant, the Casanova of time travel. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But the one thing I sort of noticed in this, he's got that really cool holster for his knife. Right. He's got carrying this big Bowie knife with him, which I think he tries to fling at a Dalek at one point, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's that's. Now, if a bomb's not going to do anything, <laughs> what the hell do you think that knife's going to do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, I noticed, I noticed as well. Tarpaulins seem to be quite good at disabling Daleks. Yes, like completely. There's one where they throw a tarpaulin over a Dalek and then stand in front of him. <laughs> it's sixties technology we're using here, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, but it's just again like the Dalek going, "Oh, I'm having a bad day." <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Don't, don't let's put your folks. I know we're sort of we're, we're sort of picking holes a little bit here, yeah. but but that's what it was. That, in that's the our day. job as old school fans. Exactly, we're there to pick holes in. We things. don't pick holes. Who will? No, exactly. Um, <laughs> I noticed we haven't tried to retrofit Bernard Cribbins into. Um, New Who, have we? Oh, they they should have. They should have called him Tom Campbell when they brought him. They back. should have done, shouldn't they? They missed a the trick there. Like when he when he meets him as the newspaper guy, there should have been this moment of familiarity where he goes, "That's weird." This is, yeah, I met someone from talked like this before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, did didn't you have a different career before? Yeah, that would have been. Uh, yeah, that they they missed. They did miss a trick there. They did yeah. miss a trick. But uh, anyway. Um, I think we've covered just about everything we we yeah. need to cover there, really. Except, we, except for one last. Um, oh, yes, yes. I noticed it, it, Peter Cushing would also be the only Doctor to have had a moustache. Oh yes, indeed. Yeah, just for people wondering if a moustached Doctor would <laughs> would ever happen. It happened. It did happen. It yeah. did happen. Never so, let it happen again. I'm just saying <laughs> that glad glad so that Cushing did it first. Yeah. He's one of my childhood heroes, Peter Cushing. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, same here, yeah. Yeah, and Christopher Lee as well, so. Yeah. Oh, dear. So, anyway, Robbie, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate, absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, me too. Now, obviously, um, we're recording a couple of weeks before this episode goes out, so um, is there any gigs or anything you want to plug? Um, no, 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 I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm fairly low key at the minute okay fair enough <laughs> I, I do go over to the UK quite regularly for gigs but I'm not I'm not going to be there for a while so I, I'll I'll leave it you leave it at that okay any any websites blogs anything you want us to um, well I just robbybonham.com where I have my cartoons and stuff up if, if, if and a lot of Doctor Who art I do do a lot of Doctor Who stuff Okay. Well, Ma- we, we, we mainstream should... be damned. Okay. <laughs> well, we should put the link to your site in, in the show notes as well. Right, so lovely. yes. So uh, well, well advertised. So um, now obviously that's it for this week. Then so um, I think uh, our next episode hopefully will be from Gallifrey One in in Los Angeles. Ooh. Yes. Um, yes, I shall be there um, for for the, for, for Galley One this year. I managed to sort of convince my wife that I need to go. So, right. um, yeah, so I should be there. I'm hoping to put at least one episode out while while I'm out there. So, um, hopefully, uh, you should be hearing from me uh, fairly soon. And uh, if not, uh, me and Paul will be back um, after Galley then. So, there we are. Maybe sort of like a week or so's time after this episode goes out. So, um, anyway, again, thank you very much, Rob. Cheers very much, Cheers, Lee. thank you. And uh, until next time then, it is goodbye from me, Phil. Goodbye.
were listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who podcast alliance. Thank you.